kid nation, that's Samuel. <laughs> um, so I took uh, my family to South Carolina last week, and then I left them. So they're, <laughs> they're all in Virginia enjoying uh, another week of time with Jesse's family. And um, yeah, continue to pray for them and that time away. Good morning, church. And welcome to our neighbors. I'm glad to be together with you this morning. It's been uh, a couple of weeks on and off. This summer has really just um, shaken me up. I, it's been the, taking the most time off that I have in, in years, and I don't know how to function. So I have no idea. I've got about three sermons this morning, and I've got no idea what you'll get. Um, so I, I'm leaning hard on the Holy Spirit this morning and trusting that he uh, will lead us and guide us. We've been in a series that's called Sword and the Spear, and been taking a look at the life of a guy named David, um, and he was a young guy who stood in the face of a giant, and um, the, the courage that he drew there was because he was looking at this giant who was blaspheming the name of the Lord and said, nobody gets to do that. Uh, the Lord does not fight with sword and spear, and so this young kid with a rock uh, brings down a giant, and if you stop the story there, like, that's great, like, it's exciting, and we can look at David as a hero, and we can want to as aspire to have that kind of faith, um, but as we've gone through the series, we've seen that that, that faith, uh, sometimes knowing the right answers doesn't mean that we always do the right things, right? Has that been your experience? It's been my experience, and it's also been David's testimony as he comes to moments of doubt and moments of weakness. He has himself grasped the sword, and Pastor Ryan led us through a passage last week where he used that sword, um, or he, he was on the verge, perhaps, of assassinating uh, his, his villain. Uh, he was on the verge of assassinating Saul, but instead uh, chooses not to, gives, gives deference to the Lord's anointed, um, and so now he's kind of alleviated the, the, the thing. Saul goes his own way. David gets to go on his own. Um, but, but the trouble's not done. And passages like this are challenging for me. Um, I have been doing uh, some time in, with the Lord uh, in, in just narrative and stories, which are harder for me, because uh, it's like, what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to do with this? If you're, if you're reading a letter out of the New Testament, he's pretty clear about, like, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Like, cool, I can try to figure out how to do that. But when you read a story, it's like, okay, David did this, and Saul did that, and it seems like one's the good guy and one's the bad guy, but neither of them is really perfect. Like, who's the hero here, and what am I supposed to do with that? And how do I know in the thick of it whether or not I'm making the right choice? That's, that's the crux of the matter. Like, you can be really, really clear this morning on Sunday morning. You've, you've taken a shower, a cleansing breath before you walk in. You've got your nice clothes on. You've read scripture. We've sung some songs together. And it can feel like I've got a pretty good heading on what I'm supposed to be doing and how I'm supposed to be acting this week. But come Tuesday morning, when you put the coffee pot in upside down and there's just stuff all over your counter, like, like what do I do in the thick of it? And how do I know when I'm making the right choices? Because, because it sometimes just feels like I'm, I'm grasping at straws, and I, and I feel like grasping at straws leads to compromise. And how do I know if I'm doing the right thing or the wrong thing? Um, and I just want to put that out there because that's where we need him. Give us this day our daily bread. So since we need him and since he's asked us to pray uh, in that manner, let's do that together. 
It's our habit to pray together the disciples' prayer. Um, it's not a magic spell or anything like that, but Jesus said uh, to those who would follow him that this is the way that they ought to pray, and I'm um, naive enough to just do what Jesus said. So, um, so I'd invite you to pray together with me. Uh, the words are on the screen. If you're not familiar with this translation, um, you can pray with me out loud, but at the very least, I'd ask you to um, bow your hearts together and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 25. In the Blue Bibles, it's page 311. Uh, we've got some Blue Bibles tucked under the chairs. Um, they've got big font in them. You can read it from space. So if, if that's helpful to you, then please do that. Um, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25 and picking up uh, the story of David. He's, he's kind of alleviated the situation. He didn't assassinate Saul. He made a plea for his life, and now everybody's gone their own way. Um, and then chapter 25 opens with what feels kind of like a throwaway verse. And I wish there were more about why this verse is in there, because I feel like this should have an impact on David, but we have no idea what David's response was. But let's read the first couple of verses. We'll read one through four. Uh, just to kind of set the stage here. So 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 1 through 4. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Moan whose uh, business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite, and David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So we'll pause there. We got the stage set. Samuel has not been a figure that's played very heavily in our series, uh, Sword and Spear, because we picked up kind of after he had done some of his work. He anointed David, and we picked up after that. Um, but this is somebody that I think David saw as a, a mentor, and he was certainly a spiritual leader in Israel. And so when he passes away, it's kind of the end of an era. Like, there's kind of a, like, what do I do now? I'm in the, I'm in the thick of it. This person who I had, had trusted and, and depended on is now gone and removed from the scene, and he's got to figure out his own way. And so he kind of pulls away and goes to the wilderness, um, and he's got uh, some men with him, and they've got to figure out, what are we going to do now? Uh, Samuel is gone um, and things are kind of smoothed over with Saul, but I don't know how long that's going to last. Um, and we've got two other characters that are introduced here. One, uh, his name is Nabal, which means nothing to you, but if you, were, uh, if you were Hebrew, you would be like, oh, interesting, the guy's name is worthless. Like, literally, his name is worthless. Uh, he's, he's a wealthy man. He's, he's very rich, and he's got 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He's really, really rich. He's wealthy, but his name is worthless. And I think that's fascinating contrast. And his wife's name, like, I don't know 
what, like, I just said this in here because it seems like his name means something, and her name means my father's joy, Abigail. Um, she was somebody who, who, who was, was a blessing to her family, and um, so they've, he's got a bunch of money. She's beautiful and discerning. He's kind of a jerk. Uh, he's a wealthy businessman, but he's kind of worthless, like character-wise. We don't know anybody that's like that. Um, but now it's the time of the shearing of the sheep. Um, and this is a thing, there's, there's sometimes when you come to the Bible and you look at it and you're like, oh, I kind of get what this is like. And there's sometimes you come to the Bible and you're like, this feels like it's on a different planet. Uh, this is one of those passages to me that feels like we're just on a different planet. It's real clear. So we're shearing sheep. What does that mean? What this means is it's payday. When you, when you have sheep, you've got a big flock, and you've got, to, you've got to take care of the flock and keep them alive so that you can get the wool from them. And when, it, when you get the wool from them, then you can actually make money. But there's a big gap between rearing the sheep and getting paid by the sheep. This isn't a weekly paycheck. This isn't a direct deposit. Like, you've got to wait months, sometimes even years, before it's payday. So when, when you're shearing the sheep, that's like, okay, we managed to keep all the sheep alive. They managed to grow. They're healthy enough to grow fur. Now we're going to make some money. So it's a time of celebration. So he's, he's, he's shearing the sheep, and David hears that he's shearing the sheep, all right? We good? All right, cool. We've got a lot of verses to go through. We've got about 40 verses this morning, which is a lot, but there's so much drama in here. So let's keep reading. Uh, verse 5. So David heard he was shearing the sheep. So David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, Okay, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we will come. Um, uh, I lost my place on the column. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servant and to your son David. And when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, uh, who is David? <laughs> who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Okay, so we got sheep. We got party time. Um, and we, we learned something about what David has done in the aftermath. He's, he's in the wilderness, and uh, he's got an army. He's got about 600 guys with him. And as they're kind of meandering around, there are these, these sheep, these shepherds bring these flocks. There's how many? 3,000, 4,000 sh uh, sheep that come through, which is not an insignificant number of sheep, right? Like if you've got an army to feed, like if you've got, I've only got five boys, but if you've got like 400, 500, like you're looking at those sheep going like, that could be a pretty good barbecue. But what he did instead was he protected the sheep. 
He made sure that there were not any wild animals that could get at the sheep. He made sure that the shepherds were taken care of. Uh, presumably there was some kind of relationship between them because when they go back to be sheared, David, David sends a letter to their boss and says, hey, we have gone out of our way to make sure that you had a good payday. And now it's payday. If you've got something left over on this feast day, could, could, would you give us something? Because we've, we have invested in your business. Would you give us some kind of a return? And Nabal responds and he says, why would I do that? Like, why would I take, why would I take the things that I have for my people and give them to you? Like, you haven't even been, like, honorable to Saul. Like, you're just a servant of Saul running off and doing your own thing. There are all kinds of servants that are rebelling against their masters. Like, I don't need to have any business with you. And David, upon hearing this response, says, what? Get your sword. You get your sword, you get your sword, you get your sword. Everybody gets a sword, and David himself straps on a sword, and what are they going to do with the swords? They're probably going to kill people, right? Like, I don't know of many other uses for swords. They're not really great for shaving. So everybody's got their sword, and it's like that's the thing that you need to take from those verses. It says sword three times in the same verse. So this, this guy who knows on the battlefield with Goliath that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, has now taken a personal offense at this clown who has no idea what's going on and says, everybody grab your sword, we're going to fight. <clears throat> There's a song by Norma Jean that says, break out the shotguns, we're going to town. It's my favorite. Sorry, that's not in my notes. <clears throat> um... He's got a legitimate concern. He's got 600 men that he's trying to feed, and he's at, but now, like, David is acting like Saul, right? Just, just, just last chapter, he was, oh, Saul, like, you're the Lord's anointed. God's going to take care of you. I don't have any animosity towards you. He's being deferent to Saul. But now when somebody insults him and insults his army, he says, we got to stand up. We, we're not going to take that kind of disrespect. Everybody get your sword, and he's bloodthirsty for those who would disrespect them. Um, let me ask a question real quick, because we've asked it before. Whose reputation gets us hot under the collar? Who, who was David fighting for with Goliath? For the Lord. And who is David fighting for here? Dave. Let's continue reading. <laughs> verse 14, 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet your master, uh, and he railed at them. Uh, yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us both night and day, all while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. 
And as she rode, down, rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Oh, let me pause. Let me pause. I know you want to know what happened next, but let me pause here. <clears throat> it's so, like, the guy's name is recorded as worthless. The first thing they want you to know about him is that he's wealthy, and the second thing they want you to know about him is that he's worthless. Our, our, we did not do like the family planning thing where we knew exactly what we wanted our family to look like before we got there. Like we have just kind of rolled with however God has blessed us. And that's been hard because I don't know if you've thought about it, but kids are not cheap. And we don't make a lot of money. And so every time we've had a kid, it has been, there's been a wrestling of like, God, why would you, why would you bless us with this? And then there's like the other side of it. It's like there's, there's, I don't know what to do. And, and when Edmund, our fifth son, was born, um, we, we were really just struggling with it. And, and God broke me. He said, listen, this is your wealth. This is your wealth. So Edmund's name means wealthy because we decided we were never going to make money, but that our wealth was going to be in our kids. And here we've got somebody who had all the money and was worthless. Did you notice that Abigail took stuff that had already been made and snuck it out and managed to do that without him even noticing that he was missing stuff? Like, he had things stacked, ready to go, and still sat on it and mocked fun at David. Even our reputation in others' eyes is measured out by God. But Abigail sets out to deliver her worthless husband... <laughs> Uh, and presumably her family with discretion. Are we waiting for someone else to address the problem that we see and can fix? Are we waiting for someone else to address a problem that we see and can fix? I have the privilege, the blessing of working with people through uh, how they want to serve in church and how the, how the churches have worked in the past. And, and there's a lot of ways where we see problems. Like it's, we see problems, but we assume that it's someone else's job to fix it. And, and when someone brings a problem to me, I try to be gracious, I try to listen, and I also try to steer them towards, is there something in here that you can take some ownership of? Like, if God's put this desire on your heart that the church be more caring, then, then perhaps you can organize some people to care good. Or maybe even just a little bit better. Because the church is not solely what any individual could do, and the church is not a, a nonprofit organization functioning. The church is wherever you are. Are we waiting for someone else to address a problem that we see and can fix? Abigail, with discretion, takes the leftovers before there are leftovers and just scoots them out and gets on a donkey. And a, a lone girl, uh, presumably with maybe some carts or some other servants or whatever, a lone girl rides out to meet 400 men who all have swords. <clears throat> I'm tempted, never mind. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Verse 21. 
Now David had said, surely in vain I've guarded all that this fellow had in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned evil, uh, returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's out for blood. I'm going to kill everybody in the family. And when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let, my, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for his name is so, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from blood guilt, from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you shall live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound up in the bundle of the living, in the bundle of the living, in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he, has appointed, or that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs or conscience or having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with you, my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Abigail uh, is fascinating to me. A, a flustered wife. Like, if you just imagine if this guy is like this with business. This is what he's like with strangers. Like, what does the household sound like? It, it doesn't seem to me like she, she had, like she had money, but what was the relationship like? Like she presumably was not surprised that he had acted in this way. You opened your big old mouth to guys with swords. Do you not have any brains? And so she takes it upon herself to prepare these gifts and she, she goes out and she's just got a masterful way of speaking. Do you, do you notice like the, the, she even throws in the analogy of like your enemies will be like a sling? She's, who's she talking to? She's talking to the Goliath slayer. Everybody knows he had a sling. So she puts some sling metaphor in there while she's talking. Like she is brilliant, masterful communicator and, and, re, and returning a gentle answer to harsh wrath looking in the face of somebody whose who's blood-curdling red, they've got the, the bloodlust of battle in them, a man of war, and she goes out and says, hey, listen, don't, like, I'm just, it, it, blame me. Like, let me take responsibility for his idiocy. I'm, I'm sorry that he did that. It was not right, and I've come to make it right. Uh, uh, she comes with an appropriate gift. 
She's not just coming to try to smooth things over and to say the right things. Like, she brings an appropriate gift. She says, we did wrong, and here's how we're going to make it right. And that presumably cost her something. She had a lot, but it presumably cost her something, right? Food's not free, particularly in this time. I think sometimes, like, we go, I, wanna, I just want to go into peaceful negotiations and I just want to talk everything over and we think an exchange of words is sufficient. And sometimes you just need to bring an appropriate gift too. I, I broke this thing. I, this, I mean, I'll just tell about kids. Like, I'm sure we grown-ups never have these kind of issues, but like with kids, like, you broke the thing. Now you've got to get the thing fixed and maybe make it nicer than it was. So she's, she's got a gentle answer and appropriate gift. Like she is just the embodiment of wisdom. And, and, and her plea is, if you kill this guy, and if you kill this guy and all of his sons, like, what kind of king will you be? This guy is already worthless. Like, he's not, he's not actually a threat to you. But if you kill him, what does that say about who you are? And David is so hung up on, like, I can't believe he insulted me. Abigail is just saying, listen, like, you are due respect, but if you're due respect, you don't have to fight for it. I'm reminded of our, our Savior who sits in the midst of an unjust trial while they hurl lies at him, the truth of all creation they lie about to his face, and he keeps quiet. But entitlement, David's entitlement has blinded him to what is just. Entitlement blinds us to justice, but discernment shows us how to make peace. Not keep the peace, not smooth things over, but to make peace. And Jesus had something to say about that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And Abigail goes out with a train to a bunch of angry guys with swords. But we've already seen that the safest place to be is where Jesus called you to be doing what he called you to do. She goes to bat for her family and even for her ignorant and foolish husband. And all of us are blessed that our wives do the same. Let's pick up reading in verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me truly by morning, there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. This brings us, I think, to our big idea. 
Leaning on others with godly discernment is leaning on Jesus. <clears throat> our, 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 the biggest test of our doctrine is, is, is whether we behave in ways that are consistent with what we believe when we're actually put under pressure. And it's clear that David knew the right answer, that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, and that the reputation of the Lord is the only thing worth fighting for. And yet in this moment, he has disconnected his brain. Like something, something is broken in him, and he's out willing to kill somebody for nothing. And God sends a mediator. God sends somebody who looks at him and says, look, you think you can handle this by yourself, but you're going to disqualify yourself. You're going you're gonna to act like the guy that you're being raised up to replace. Like, don't you know, well, he doesn't yet, but like, Jesus is going to be descended from him. And so what kind of king David is, 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 is setting precedent or is, is helping us to wrap our minds around the king that we look to today. But leaning on others with godly discernment is leaning on Jesus. Because he looks at a woman and gives thanks to the Lord. He sees that left to his own devices, uh, the, the prayer line was, he hung up the phone. He's leaving the house. Remember when we used to have to do that? Leave the house and leave the phone there? Good old days. <clears throat> He's hung up the prayer line. And yet, God has sent an intercessor, somebody to mediate on his behalf, to stop him from doing what he is set in his heart to do. Sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like your friend saying, yo, hold up. Maybe they didn't mean it the way that you took it. Hey, wait a second. I know times are tough financially, but the thing that you're proposing is actually dishonest. I know that your kids are frustrating, but you can't talk to them like that. Leaning on others with godly discernment is leaning on Jesus. If the Spirit of God works in the priesthood of all believers and, and you are shoulder to shoulder with somebody else who's following Jesus, the Holy Spirit may speak through them. And often, <laughs> it's going to frustrate you. It's going to frustrate It's going to get on your nerves because you know what they're going to say? They're going to bring out a Bible verse. You'll be like, I know that! I've heard that one. I, I, and if you're me, I've preached that like three times already. And they're like, yeah, but you're not living it. And God, I need Jesus to, to, to help me to connect the things that I think I believe with the way that I'm living. Because God gives us the victory when we're fighting the right battle. She, and, 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 and Abigail's keyed in on that. Like he's, She says to David, you are the Lord's anointed and you are fighting the Lord's battle and he is going to preserve you and all of your enemies are going to be as Nabal. They're going to be worthless. They're going to be out of the way. But when you fight the right battles, the Lord is fighting for you. God gives us victory when we're fighting the right battle and the sword and the spear belong to Jesus, not to us. David who showed restraint towards one that he considers greater than himself, the Lord's anointed. He, he defers to Saul and preserves Saul, but he looks at one that he considers less than upstanding and says, I'll kill you. How dare you talk to me like that? Verse 
He overlooks the image of God in the ball. Worthless, yes, but not in the eyes of God. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So if we consider the story from David's perspective, who are we tempted to consider as less than us? I'm going to ask you to carry this question with you this week because my suspicion is as I pose it today, they're not going to come to mind. Who are we tempted to consider as less than us? Because you know why they're not coming to mind? is because you're not even thinking about them. They're not even on your radar. But you're going to go into this week and there's going to be a time where you're going to interact with somebody and the Spirit's going to be like, that was it. That person was made in my image. They are worthy of dignity and love and grace. Who are the people that we are tempted to consider as less than us? Do not mistake the harvest for the enemy. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And leaning on others with godly discernment is leaning on Jesus. David's sword is sheathed. He puts it away. And he thanks God for sending a godly and discerning woman to stop him. Verse 36, Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. <laughs> and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was, he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and who has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as a wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to take you to him as a wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. And David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul, meanwhile, Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was in Galim. So, um, here's kind of the, the, the happily ever after bit, uh, which is maybe a different sermon, but David sees uh, very clearly, uh, Nabal, well, Nabal dies. He presumably has a heart attack. He's incapacitated for a number of days, and then he passes away. Um, and David realizes, God saved me from making a really foolish mistake. This guy had already had really bad health problems, and he was on his way out. Like, me, me killing him was not really going to do anybody any favors. Um, but he attributes that to the Lord, because our weakness does not stop God from caring for us. And so David, I, and, and the, I don't think the authors are real concerned to get a, a specific chronology 
They're, they're not trying to tell everything in exact time and in exact order. And so I don't know how much time elapsed between <laughs> the time where she buries her husband and then David's like, hey, you want to you wanna date? Um, but there's presumably some time, and it, and it goes well, and she becomes his wife. And David takes another wife, too, um, and that's going to cause problems down the road, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, and in the meantime, McCall, the wife that he had left back uh, earlier, Saul had just given her to somebody else. So um, things are just jacked up. Uh, I, I put happily ever after kind of in, in scare quotes, like <laughs> happily ever after, because the story's not over yet. God's not done. But as, we, as we're looking at this story, consider, consider David and his, and his fight for his own reputation to the disregard of, of somebody else who is created in the image of God. We've looked at that. We Consider Abigail a, a wise and discerning advocate, a, a picture of Christ for us who would come to us in our moments of like rage and hostility against God and say, hey, actually, uh, God died for you. You have no need to kill him. Um, but as I was reflecting on, on this passage, uh, another one came to mind, um, and I just invite us as Americans to consider Nabal, a man with all the wealth and yet worthless. There's a, a passage written to a young pastor, and these instructions are given for pastors to teach, and so I read them as a reminder to you as we close. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Where do we draw our confidence for from life? Where do we draw our confidence from for life? Is it in what we have accumulated Or is it in Jesus? Is leaning on others with godly discernment? Is leaning on Jesus? Let's pray together. God, your word is true. I trust it. Um, and Lord, I know my own weaknesses. And so, God, I pray that if there's anything in, in our time here together that I've said that has been distracting or untrue, that those things would be quickly forgotten, but that your word would stand firm. God, in the moments where your spirit has been whispering to us and drawing our hearts, God, I pray that you would make us receptive to that, that you would help us to um, leave behind the sinful patterns that we've learned and that keep us separated from you and to entrust ourselves to you, the giver of true life. Be our confidence and our shield. Be our refuge when people mock us or make fun of us. Be the wellspring of wisdom that we might know how to give gentle answers to people with swords. When we are the target, God, would you help us to be generous? Would you count us worthy to suffer according to your name? 
And Lord, if we're not there yet, God, would you lead us on that path? Would you walk with us step by step? We thank you for your patience and your grace and your mercy this day. It's in your glorious name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.